0: Chapel, won't you please stand and worship with us.
1: morning, church family. You may be seated. It is good to be together. If you don't know me, my name is Rob Zimmerman, uh, one of the pastors here at Westgate, and just super excited that you've chosen to worship with us today. Uh, we've got a great morning that is planned. I do especially want to welcome you, if you're a guest here with us today, uh, thank you for worshiping with us. If you would, take just a moment to fill out the connection card uh, that you'll find in the pew in front of you. Uh, it is a great first way to get connected here at Westgate. And so if you take a moment, fill that out. You can turn it in with the offering, but especially if you are a guest, I would love you to hold on to the card. And at the end of the service today, you can take it to our guest center that is in the main entrance. And we have some people there that would love to exchange that connection card for us. Small gift as our way of saying thank you for worshiping with us today, but then also we would uh, just love the opportunity to answer any questions you might have about the church and how to get connected. And really, one of the best ways to stay connected here at Westgate uh, with what is going on is through our app again. So I would encourage you, if you have never downloaded our church app, you can do so in your app store whether you have an iPhone or an Android. You can download it by looking for uh, searching for Westgate Chapel Toledo, and uh, in that app you'll find up to date. Constantly, The events that are happening around the church, different ways to get connected. If you're already involved in different groups, you can access those groups through that app. So please be sure to check that out uh, and stay up to date with what is going on. Uh, a couple of things that I want to make you aware of before we continue in our worship together this morning. Uh, the first thing is just a very quick reminder that today following this service, we're going to have a quick congregational meeting of our membership. It should take about five to ten minutes. Uh, we need to uh, just simply receive two nominees from our congregation congregation and membership uh, for our nominating committee, and so uh, we would love for you to hang around just after the service for a few minutes. We'll get that started pretty quick and uh, take care of that business together. Uh, A couple other things to remind you of in your uh, sermon notes, hopefully you picked those up as you walked in this morning. You'll see two inserts that I just want to highlight for you. The first one, again, is our uh, Deep Roots and Broad Reach commitment card. We've been talking about this as a church uh, through the month of September uh, and here in October about the vision that God has given us, and today is the day that we will be turning in those commitment cards together later in the service with the offering, and so uh, if you brought those with you, you can... uh, 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 turn those in uh, later in the service. But then again, if you are still interested in in making a commitment, you can take a look at this card, and we have provided that for you today. Uh, As well, one other thing that we wanted to give you, as many of you know, I've talked about this again over the last couple weeks, but many people have had issues with our online giving platform. It's been a little bit of a frustration for us, and so we have changed providers, and we have really begun to migrate a lot of people to the new one uh, by simply sending out emails. But this morning, we wanted to give you this card. If you are interested in online giving, uh, you can check out this card. It'll tell you three different ways that you can access it. You can do it by going to our app and uh, tapping on Give. You can scan the QR code on the back of this card, or you can simply go to westgatechapel.org, click the Give button, and it's all set up there for you to do that. And so we want to make this as easy as possible, but we are going to be migrating over, and in very short order, we're actually going to be shutting down the old system. So please be sure if you currently have uh, online giving that is set up that you go to our website and you can actually deactivate your current giving with the old site that is there with clear explanation of how to do it and then also how to set up the new one with tithely so please be sure to check that out we want to just have a great morning of worship together and so we're going to begin that by standing up and taking a moment to welcome one another to the service look for somebody that you have not said hello to yet this morning and greet them.
2: To you. Hey. you are for me, and if you are for me,
3: for how great you are and how great you will forever be and I just thank you for inviting us into that story and for sending your son and for dying for us and for loving us that much and for continually loving us every day and giving us your peace. I just pray that you will bring your Holy Spirit into this room and into each of our hearts so that we can accept what you have to say and it's in Jesus' name we pray, amen.
1: Well, good morning, church family good to be together today uh, got a question for you as we get started how many people here like reading or watching the news during the week any anybody here like reading watching the news I got to confess to you that I am a tad bit of a news junkie I uh, I love to read the news and keep up what is going on various different things especially in the sporting arena in case you haven't been watching uh, the news this morning there are some really great things that have taken place Alabama lost yesterday. Yeah. That is cause for celebration, my friends, we uh, let's have a party after church. All right, um, no seriously though, UCLA about to move into the top ten, Woo. all right, well I'm excited. Um, okay, so uh, even better news yesterday, the Dodgers lost and got kicked out of the, out of the playoffs and the Yankees lost, yeah. Indians, right, all right, okay. Wow, I I got like summarily booed by some Dodger fans somewhere. I felt that deep. All right. Don't worry. My team can't even make the playoffs. All right. Well... Uh, you know it's interesting. There's a lot of news, and to be honest, not only do I love sporting news, but I actually love to just read the news and keep up on what is going on with different events. And I'll I'll look at all different types of news. I, I have I you know I don't have any preferences. I just love to go and read from all different angles. I'll watch and read Fox News, CNN, BBC, Jerusalem Post, you name it. I like to read them all because somewhere in the middle we find the truth. But uh, as as I do that, uh, it's not just like once a week, like some people are like once a week news people. I'm, you know, and then there's other people that are like every day kind of news people. I'm like multiple kinds, you know, multiple times of day kind of person, Uh, and that's why I consider myself to be a little bit of a news junkie. I love to keep up with what's going on in the U.S., but also all around the world. And one of the uh, intriguing things that I come across because I read so much news is the number of nutty, crazy news stories that are out there. I don't know if any of you have experienced this, but you'll be like reading about world events and like really important things that are going on and then you'll hit a story that just kind of makes you cock your head and go huh right like this one israeli scientists have taught a goldfish how to drive Like literally saw this this past week. This is not a joke. This is like legit news. They literally created this little like car thing, put it on top of a fishbowl, and they point lasers at the fish to teach it how to drive this car. So based on how it swims is how the thing moves. Really weird and interesting. Okay, the next thing, this is a little bit kind of gross, but in California, there is a lady that wears contacts, and she put her contacts in for 23 days straight without taking them out now, I don't know how in the world you get the idea that you're not supposed to take them out. Maybe she thought they dissolved, but there's an actual video that I saw online of an ophthalmologist removing 23 days' worth of lenses from her eye. Isn't that disgusting? So, so great. All right, let's move on from that. I don't want you to get too grossed out. You know, if Tide Pods weren't a bad enough thing in our news culture when we heard about young people eating Tide Pods, strange. The FDA has issued a new warning against using NyQuil as a marinade for chicken. Have you heard about this? There are young people using NyQuil. Now, can we, can we pause for just a moment? Like, as I'm reading this news article, I'm thinking to myself, is this real? Have you tasted NyQuil, people? Like, it's disgusting. And there are people that are out there using this as a marinade for their chicken. Can I just pause before I continue? Please do not try this at home, Okay. Not a good thing. Uh, How many people here uh, like uh, Disney's original Dumbo? Anybody here like watching Disney's original Dumbo? Great old classic, right? Well, did you know that there is a real-life Dumbo, not an elephant, but a baby goat named Simba in Pakistan who has 22-inch long ears. Is that not incredible? There's an actual video in the article as well showing this guy tripping over his ears. It's uh, it's kind of a crazy thing to behold. So as you watch the news, you can run into some pretty crazy nutty stories from all around the world. But honestly, I really like keeping up on what is happening around the world because I love talking about current events with people. In the past few years, if we think about it, have actually given us quite a bit of material to work with when it comes to our conversations surrounding what is happening in the world. And here's what I found is interesting. As I engage people in conversations about what's happening, not only in the United States, but all over the world, I am consistently asked a handful of really big questions. And if you have your sermon notes, I'd encourage you to pull them out. You can follow along with me here this morning but there are many big questions that I find people are asking as they look at world events and what is happening all around us. And these, these three questions probably will not surprise you, but here they are in no particular order. Number one question, when will Jesus return? As we look at what's happening in the world, many people are asking this question, when will Jesus return? The second one is also what do these events, world events, mean? As we look at everything that is going on and some of the nuttiness of what's happening in our world, what in the world does it mean? And thirdly, then, how should we interpret them? I mean, just simply think about all the stuff over the last couple years that has kind of inundated our homes through the news about what's going on, from the coronavirus pandemic to natural disasters, out-of-control fires, droughts, hurricanes causing destruction, News about mass shootings, political mud record high inflation, the war in Ukraine, talk of war between China and Taiwan, Iran being Iran, North Korea testing nuclear-capable missiles, talk of nuclear war with Russia. I mean, we are inundated constantly with this news that our world seems to be falling apart at end. And what I find is that as we experience this, especially within the church, people keep asking this question, do you think Jesus is coming soon? For some Christians, this has developed for them a sense of urgency as they consider the world events and what the Bible has to say about end times. And if you were to ask me this question of, do you think Jesus is coming soon? I'm going to be honest with you. My answer is, I don't know. I think it's the most biblical answer. But my answer would honestly be, I don't know. But I will tell you this, I'm not going to be caught flat-footed because from the time of Christ until today, God has called those who follow his son to live the Christian life with a sense of urgency, believing that the return of Christ is imminent and that it could happen at any moment. And Jesus does give us indicators in the scriptures that are meant to keep us at the ready, So as we consider everything that's going on in our world and the questions that are constantly being asked, we're going to begin a three-week series together that is entitled Urgent. Watch, prepare, and invest. We're going to spend the next three weeks together going through Matthew chapter 24 and Matthew chapter 25, talking about what Jesus had to say to his disciples concerning the future of his coming and also the end of time. And as we study this together, there is one caveat that I want to make sure we pay attention to. One thing that I want you to be clear on. Jesus is, especially in our text this morning, Jesus is going to give some very specific signs and talk about what it will look like at the time preceding his coming. But one of the great dangers that I have seen plague the church from the time I was young until today is that we get so caught up in the signs that we actually miss the main points of what Jesus wants us to understand. And so this morning as we begin this series, I want you to hear me very clearly. We are going to really seek to dive into this passage to understand what God's heart is. Is for us to know and to own as we think about the time when Christ will return. Now, as we do this, we're gonna begin by jumping in together into Matthew chapter 24. So if you have your Bibles, open them up for me. Matthew chapter 24, we're gonna take a look here first at the first three verses together. Uh, it'll also be on the screen for you, but you can open up your, your physical Bible, you can do it in your Bible app, Matthew 24. I don't know if uh, if you have ever gotten into using the sermon notes that are in the app on your phone, but if you're filling in your notes in the app, you can actually, the verses are listed there, you can push it, and it will automatically open up your Bible app, so that's one really cool feature. But we're going to begin here with Matthew chapter 24, and what we find... Is it in the same way that we ask these questions as we look at world events and we think, is Jesus coming soon? The disciples actually ask some very similar questions of Jesus. And let's see how that begins here in verses 1 through 3. It says this, Jesus left the temple and was walking away when his disciples came up to him to call his attention to its buildings. Do you see All of these things, he being Jesus asked, truly, I tell you, not one stone here will be left on another. Every one will be thrown down. And as Jesus now was sitting on the Mount of Olives, the disciples came to him privately. Tell us, they said, when will this happen? And what will be the sign of your coming and of the end of the age? Now let's take a look here a little bit at the context as the disciples begin to ask some similar questions of Jesus. The disciples, it tells us in verse 1, are going along with Jesus coming out of the temple area, and it tells us that they're admiring the temple. You'll see a picture of the temple uh, up here on the screen. Uh, this is a model that has been made of what uh, the temple mount would have looked like in Jerusalem. As you look at it, it was one of the most incredible things that was built in that day and age. It was an arch. Architectural wonder, the way that they were able to hew such massive stones and build these high walls and these incredible buildings and, and the palace and, and the, the Holy of Holies and all of that together. It was something to behold and look at. It was truly magnificent. And the passage tells us as is the, is, uh, the disciples are walking with Jesus, as we look also in, in the other gospel accounts of this, it says not only that they were looking at it, but they were marveling at how incredible it was. And then it tells us that Jesus says to them, Look, you see all of this great, marvelous stuff you're looking at? I tell you the truth, not one stone, all of these stones that have built this incredible complex, not one will be left on another, and every single one will be thrown down. There is no doubt that the disciples hear this from Jesus, and they are completely perplexed by his response. But why? In order to understand why they were perplexed, we need to have a little bit of an understanding and need to know the basic hopes and aspirations of Judaism in that day. As Israel had been God's people, as we read in the Old Testament, we see that they had been ruled by other nations since Babylon had overthrown Judah in 586 B.C. Judah itself, the Babylonians came into the southern uh, portion of Israel known as Judah. They took conquered Jerusalem. And as they conquered it, they took and they exported everybody out, all of them up into Babylon. And the idea behind that for Babylon was that they were going to completely destroy a nation by taking the people and causing them to be ingrained into Babylonian culture and society. And that was the idea. From that point until the time of Jesus, what we see is that God's people have always been ruled by other nations. It's something that drove them nuts. Always ruled by others. Ruled by the Greeks. Ruled by, uh, at Jesus' time, ruled by the Romans. But they also knew that the Old Testament had prophecies, prophets who had come and said that there would be a time of future blessing, of deliverance, and prosperity And so God's people longed for that day when those prophecies would be fulfilled. And what they believed from the prophets was that God would send the Messiah to usher in a time of unending reign of peace and prosperity. They were longing for the Messiah to arrive. And they had a very specific belief of how events were going to unfold as he would come as a mighty warrior to overthrow their oppressors and lead them to this time of peace. And here's Jesus in front of them. The one that the disciples believe is the Messiah sent by God. The time in their mind is now for him to usher in his kingdom. But this did not compute. When Jesus gives this response about the temple, it does not compute with their understanding. Wait a second. The temple is going to be destroyed? We thought you were here to rescue us. They've already heard Jesus talking in the weeks prior that he is going to be put to death. And all of these things swirling in their minds, they're thinking to themselves, what is going on? It doesn't fit the scenario that we had of how this time would unfold. And you have to remember that there are two questions that the disciples ask of Jesus when they're on the, on the Mount of Olives with him, just outside of the city of Jerusalem. And those two questions are, one, when will the temple be destroyed? And number two, what will be the sign of your coming and of the end? And Jesus' answer to them that follows is one of the longest answers that is given in all of Scripture to a question. It is often called the Olivet Discourse, really big, flashy words that simply means a teaching that was given by Jesus on the Mount of Olives, which sits just across the valley from the walls of Jerusalem. The Olivet Discourse. And oftentimes it is this passage in Matthew 24 and 25 that is used to assist and develop our understanding of end times theology, of how the end will happen, of the signs that will precede the return of Christ. And as we consider this this morning, not only did it have significance and importance for the disciples as they listened to Jesus, but it has significance and importance for us today as we await the return of Christ. But before we dive into it together, I want to give us this one caution. There is a pitfall that we must when we read this text. And this is what it is. Fill it in. We must not neglect what was most important to Jesus in order to find answers that he purposefully did not give. Let me say that again. We must not neglect what was most important to Jesus in order to find answers that he purposefully didn't give. One of the great wrestlings of the church has been to use passages like Matthew 24 and 25, the book of Revelation, the book of Daniel, 2 Thessalonians, all these different passages in scripture to try to figure out exactly when Jesus is going to return and to put every little piece of the story together. And what happens is that at times we spend so much time wrestling with things that have not completely clearly been spelled out that we actually miss what Jesus was trying to communicate. The next three weeks together, we are going to look together at what those things are that were on the heart of Christ. So let's continue to dive in. The disciples have asked their questions and Jesus' response, he paints a very dreadful picture of what the world would look like prior to his return. If you have your Bibles, take a look with me at Matthew chapter 24, uh, verses 4 through 15, as Jesus begins his response. Remember, the question has been asked, when is this, you know, the the destruction of the temple going to happen? When, uh, what are the signs of your return and of the end of the age? And it says in verse 4 that Jesus answered, watch out that no one deceives you. For many will come in my name claiming, I am the Messiah and deceive many. You will hear of wars and rumors of wars, but see to it that you are not alarmed. Such things must happen, but the end is still to come. Nation will rise against nation and kingdom against kingdom. There will be famines and earthquakes in various places. All of these things are the beginning of birth pains. Then you will be handed over to be persecuted and to be put to death And you will be hated by all nations because of me. At that time, many will turn away from the faith and will betray and hate each other. And many false prophets will appear and deceive many people. Because of the increase of wickedness, the love of most will grow cold. But the one who stands firm to the end, he will be saved. And this gospel of the kingdom will be preached in the whole world as a testimony to all nations and then the end will come. As we look at this picture that Jesus is painting for his disciples to answer these questions, he gives a number of signs that they are to be watching for, of things that they can expect. And it's a rather dreadful picture. It starts out kind of bad here at first, and in the next part of the passage that we'll read, we'll see that it gets even worse. But the first thing we see is that he says, and you can fill this in, is that there will be deception by false Christs, that there will be people that come who falsely claim to be the Messiah. The idea of the word Christ there is the idea of Messiah. That there will be those who claim to be the Messiah that will come and try to lead people astray. And he warns them about these people not to be led away. Number two, we see that he also talks about disputes and warfare among the nations. And what's interesting is that even as we read this and we try to think about what, how the disciples are receiving it, We also receive it because we look at what's happening in our world today, and it often causes us to go, is this the moment? Is this the time? Is this when Christ is going to return? When I look at this part about disputes and warfare among the nations and it says that uh, uh, nation will rise against nation and kingdom against kingdom. You know, I can remember as a young child, uh, or not a young child, when I think I was uh, in high school when the Iraq war happened. And I can remember looking at the Iraq war, it was the first time I think in the history of time that we had actually seen a live action war taking place on our TV screens right in front of our face. I can remember the vivid images as the war started of seeing these Lots of light in the sky that were zooming across the sky and landing and blowing up buildings that were literally across the street from where journalists were. Now, I've still not not quite understood why journalists go into a war zone where buildings are being blown up, but they're weird. But they captured it on TV for us, and we were able to see it. And I can remember thinking to myself, here it is. The end is coming. And I can remember people in my church saying, this is the time. Jesus is here. He's going to be coming. Then we have an event like 9-11 where where terrorists fly planes into buildings in the United States and we begin to face an enemy that we cannot see and people all over the place are saying this is it this is the moment this is the time that Jesus is coming and he will return we experience the war in Afghanistan or even today the war that is happening in the Ukraine and we think to ourselves is this the moment is this the time where Jesus will return as kingdom rises against kingdom and nation against nation Jesus also says that devastation will be brought on by the forces of nature now he speaks about two different types of things he talks about famines that will take place in the world and he also talks about earthquakes now for me growing up in Southern California earthquakes totally get it every single time one happened, I was looking up to see if Jesus was coming back. I remember as a young boy in middle school, when the Whittier Narrows earthquake hit, it was a six-point like five or 6.6 6 earthquake. I know like sometimes we have earthquakes here that kind of go, per, 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 you know, and, and we're like, whoo, the ground shook. 6.6 um, 6 earthquake, not a rolling earthquake, which is very different than a sliding earthquake. It was a huge earthquake. And as a young boy, I was awoken in the morning. My sister had already left for school, just me and my mom. And literally the walls of my house were jarring like this back and forth and I can remember hearing my mom kind of freak out and yell then I started screaming we run we're standing in the middle of the doorway hoping the house doesn't collapse around us you can literally see across the room the the big old fish tank that we had and the water sloshing and our fish going and jumping out as it went with the wave I mean it was incredible but I was freaked out and I was sure that Jesus was coming again And I can remember even growing up in youth group, my youth pastor would talk about all of these signs as he would teach us through the book of Revelation, even Matthew chapter 24, and he would talk about earthquakes specifically and say, if you look and you see the increase in the number of earthquakes that have happened in the last few years, remind you, this is back in the 90s, saying, the time is now, it's coming, it's here because all of these earthquakes, right? And there was this anticipation that we had that these are the signs, that this is telling us that it's coming. Jesus continues, and he says, not only a devastation is brought on by the forces of nature, but he talks about persecution of Christ followers, that Christ followers will begin to experience great persecution at the hands of the world because of their faith in Jesus. And I wanna pause here for just a moment because this has been going on since the time of Christ. God's people have always been experiencing real persecution. Now, I know for us here in America, We feel persecuted when we can't bake cakes without being drawn into court or when some of our uh, liberties that we've had are taken from us. But I wanna say that when we talk about that in terms of persecution, we look really foolish to the rest of the world where every single day for centuries, people have been being slaughtered because they believe in Jesus. And a lot of times, we think to ourselves ourselves, hey, well, we'll never experience that. That's one of the the criticisms that I have at times in the church of like the idea with pre-trib raptures that sometimes we hold to that because we say to ourselves, well, God's not gonna let his people go through difficult things. What does that say to the rest of the world and people that have been being killed for centuries because of their faith in Jesus? You see, What Jesus explains is that there will be great persecution in an increasing way that happens all throughout the world that surrounds us. He continues and he says that there will also, because of this persecution, be an abandoning of the faith. That many people will walk away from Christ because of how difficult it is to follow him. And I look at our world today and I think about the number of young people that are leaving the church because it's just easier. I think about the number of pastors that we hear about in the news that are walking away from the faith that they have taught to people for years of their lives, because it's just easier to not go that route and to not believe. And as I think about all of these things, one of the things that I have studied and thought about is that scholars have debated this section of scripture that Jesus is talking about for years, What is Jesus actually talking about when he gives these signs? Remember that Jesus is answering two questions. One question is, when will the destruction of the temple occur? The very thing that Jesus was speaking to his disciples about. The other one, what are the signs of your coming in the end? What I want to say this morning is this, is that it is likely that Christ, on one hand, is describing what it will be like prior to the destruction of the temple. That was the question that the disciples asked. But it is also very likely that Christ is describing events that will increasingly grow in their intensity throughout time. But with all of these, there is truly nothing that is new under the sun. What does Jesus say even as he walks through these various signs? He says they are merely what? Birth pains. They are not the moment, but they are the reminder that Jesus is coming. In the same way that a woman with birth pains, they grow in intensity until the child is born. The Bible seems to paint a clear picture for us that that leading up to the return of Jesus Christ, that these events and these signs will grow in their intensity. Now here's one thing that makes me really sure that Jesus is talking about things and signs that are going to happen before his return because of this very next one that he says that the gospel will be proclaimed to the entire world. Now, I want you to think about this for a second. Remember that when Jesus says this to the disciples, right, this is preceding his death and his resurrection. The early church has not started. The gospel has not gone out to the Gentiles, right? And he says that the whole world will know. He is most definitely talking about a future time and a future event. And his disciples should have picked up on that pretty clearly. Think about this. One of my favorite places I've told you before that I've been able to go is the Bible Museum in Washington, D.C. At the Bible Museum in Washington, D.C., they have a hall that is called Illuminations. It is a room that you can walk into where they have every translation of the Bible that has ever been made. It's an incredible thing to behold. You walk in, and on one side, on the left side of that picture that you see on the screen, you can walk up and literally touch and see all of these thousands of translations of how the Bible has been translated into so many different languages so that people uh, can know the good news of the gospel. On the other side where you see kind of it's yellow, there are little yellow holders there that represent all of the languages that still need the Bible in their language. It's an incredible thing. But here's what really impresses me. And here's one of the things that honestly causes me to go. The time of Christ's return is drawing near. There's a slide that I want you to look at. This was put out by Wycliffe Bible Translators that talks about global scripture access. And if you look at it, you'll see that it says 724 languages today in the world have the full Bible in their language. There's another 1,617 languages that have the completed New Testament in their language. And then on top of that, there are 1,248 other languages that have portions of the Bible. This is really impressive. That amounts to 3,589 languages with at least some scripture in the good news of Jesus Christ. Here's what's really impressive, and I'm not sure you can read it. It's very small and black at the bottom, but it says this. When you consider all of those languages, that covers 97% of all people in the world that have the good news of Jesus in their language. That is impressive. And here's why it is most impressive to me. Because when Jesus says that the thing that will really precede his return is that the gospel will be proclaimed to the whole world, we are very very close. And so Jesus, as he speaks with his disciples and then through scripture to us through the years, paints these signs for us of what it will be like prior to his return. He doesn't stop there. And really what he does is he moves into verses 15 through 31 is essentially, I believe he says, if you think the world is bad now, Jesus says, just wait, there's more. In verses 15 through 31, you can follow along with me as he continues. He says, so when you see standing in the holy place, the abomination that causes desolation, spoken of through the prophet Daniel, let the reader understand. Then let those who are in Judea flee to the mountains. Let no one on the housetop go down to take anything out of the house. Let no one in the field go back to get their cloak. How dreadful it will be in those days for pregnant women and nursing mothers. Pray that your flight will not take place in winter or on the Sabbath. For then there will be great distress, unequaled from the beginning of the world until now, and never to be equaled again. In those days, had if those days had not been cut short, no one would survive. But for the sake of the elect, those days will be shortened. And at that time, if anyone says to you, look, here is the Messiah, or there he is, do not believe it. For false messiahs and false prophets will appear and perform great signs and wonders to deceive, if possible, even the elect. See, I have told you ahead of time. So if anyone tells you, there he is out in the wilderness, do not go out. Or here he is in the inner rooms, do not believe it. For as lightning that comes from the east is visible even in the west, so will be the coming of the Son of Man. Wherever there is a carcass, there, are, there the vultures will gather. Immediately after the distress of those days, the sun will be darkened, the moon will not give its light, the stars will fall from the sky, and the heavenly bodies will be shaken. And then will appear the sign of the Son of Man in heaven. And then all the peoples of the earth will mourn when they see the Son of Man coming on the clouds of heaven with power and great glory." And he will send his angels with a loud trumpet call and they will gather his elect from the four winds from one end of the heavens to the other. This is an incredible description that Jesus gives to his disciples of events that will occur directly before his coming again and before the end of time. And as he continues, it grows even greater in its its dreadful picture And I want to pull two things out of this passage for us to uh, contemplate this morning. One of the things that he talks about at the very beginning is the abomination of desolation. He says, when you see standing in the holy place, the abomination that causes desolation, spoken of through the prophet Daniel, let the reader understand, let those who are in Judea flee to the mountains. The abomination of desolation, as we see not only here in Matthew 24, but in in the book of Daniel, as we read about it in the book of Revelation, is the Antichrist. The Antichrist, as we understand from Scripture, is a man who figures prominently in the earth's destruction, and is a man that is so corrupt and so evil that he is called the Antichrist. Literally, he is the opposite of Christ, and he represents the opposite of Christ in every single way. The Bible tells us that as a world ruler, he will be instrumental in leading vast numbers of people astray. The book of Daniel describes him this way. He is described as the promise that shall come, as a fierce king, as a master of intrigue, as a despicable man. Second Thessalonians tells us that he is the one who will bring destruction, the lawless one, an evil man. The book of Revelation describes him as the beast. And as we continue to read about him in the scriptures, we see that he will rise up as one of the greatest and most powerful leaders that the world has ever seen. His eloquence and his charm will capture the attention of the world. He will have great power to overthrow, uh, he will have great power over the world and even appear to be a friend at first to Israel, garnering the trust of many people. And yet, As time continues, we also see that he will fully oppose God's people. He will even put to death those who refuse to worship him and receive his mark. And he will divide whole nations and ultimately is described as the one who will trigger what is known as the tribulation. As we read here, we begin to get a picture of a man, the abomination of desolation, the Antichrist, who Satan will enter into and will use as an influence over the world and who will cause incredible distress and incredible destruction and we see that because the time in which he will live is a time that the bible describes as the great tribulation this is your next fill in the great tribulation and i want you to write in the line next to that the words pressure to the point of bursting pressure to the point of bursting as we read in verse 21 of our version this morning, I have you reading uh, at least on the screen, and what I've been reading this morning is out of the NIV. It says that it will be, there will be great distress. If you look in the ESV and other translations, it is called, uh, there, it will be a time of great tribulation. The picture is that the evil... And what is rampant in the world at that time will be growing to such a point that the pressure that it will cause is like the pressure that brings something to the point of bursting and being completely destroyed. In other words, the evil and the horrible things that will happen during this time period will be of a magnitude that is unparalleled in the history of the world. We think of people like Hitler and Mao, Saddam Hussein all of these people that we look at in world history and think these were horrible, evil leaders. And what we see is that this person will be unparalleled in the history of the world in his evilness. And the Bible says that such trouble and disaster not only has never been seen, but it will never be equaled thereafter. Now, as we study these portions of Scripture about the time of the tribulation, and uh, as we uh, read Scripture about, the Antichrist. All of it brings up the conversation for people to ask well the, the other question, which is, well, when will the rapture of the church occur right the, now if you don 't understand what i 'm saying, the rapture of the church is the idea that before the tribulation that uh, or at least that 's one way of thinking about it is that the, uh, is that Christ will pull all Christians out of the world, the rapture literally a catching up, and that they will be with him, the tribulation will happen, and then christ 's second coming will occur at the end of this time period where where all of this devastation is being uh, uh, wreaked upon the world. And that is one way of thinking about it. And I get asked the question all the time, uh, well, are you you pre-trib rapture? Do you believe that Jesus is going to pull us Christians out so we don't have to go through this? So like, where do you stand? And I can tell you this growing up in the church, uh, definitely, uh, I'm definitely pre-millennial, but definitely, uh, believed in a pre-tribulation rapture. Then I went to college and I was post and then somewhere in the middle, I got to mid and then like this, like, you know, pre-wrath idea. There's like all these different, like I literally have lived in every single position on this issue. Anybody else in the same boat? Right. You know, we read the scriptures, we try to understand it the best that we possibly can, And one of the things that I have found is that um, if you you were to try to nail me down today and say, Rob, what do you think? Honestly, I probably land more that uh, Christians will go through the tribulation and that Christ will return. I see it as a solitary event. However, I will also tell you that I'm really praying that there's a pre-trib rapture, just so you know. Every single day, waking moment of my life. But with all of that being said, one of the things that I think disheartens me is that as Christians, sometimes we get so mired into trying to figure something out that I don't believe has been made abundantly clear in Scripture. Now, I know somebody's going to argue with me on that, so come find me afterwards. I love to talk about it. But I want you to understand something. I don't believe that this is something that should ever divide the church, okay? Okay. I believe that there is one important thing that we all must believe together, whether you're pre, mid, or post when it comes to rapture or no rapture at all. And it is this, that Jesus will come again. Amen. Amen. Please say that a little bit louder. Amen. Amen. That Jesus himself will come again. I believe that this is the most important truth. When we look at everything that Jesus is saying to his disciples, speaking of a time to come into the future that they can't even possibly envision, and then we try to take it and we look at our culture today and say, is this the moment? Is this the time? How is it going to unfold? I want us to understand what purpose does all of this information that Jesus gives serve? What is most important here? And this is what I believe it is. It is to remind us of these things. One, it's going to be ugly. It is going to be really ugly. The time that Jesus describes is going to be a time where if you are a follower of Jesus Christ, it is going to be very difficult. When he says many people will walk away, it's because it will really test the merit of our faith. Do we truly have faith in Jesus Christ? It's going to get ugly. But he also wants us to understand, number two, do not lose heart because Jesus is coming. Do not lose heart. And because Jesus is coming, we know this truth, number three, that Jesus is already and will be victorious. And here's what I mean by that. When Jesus died on the cross and rose again, he sealed the victory over sin and the grave. And when he comes again the second time, he will finalize that victory by taking Satan and everybody else and throwing them as the Bible says into the lake of fire. This is the moment I long for, your fourth filling when all evil will be fully destroyed. I don't know about you, but when I read about that in the book of Revelation, I cannot wait for that day to watch all of sin, all of pain, all of temptation, all of the horrible, evil things that happen in this world because of Satan and his demons, and watch it thrown into the lake of fire to be gone forever. Can somebody celebrate with me that that day will come? I long for it because I long to be freed from it. But Jesus also reminds us that those who endure to the end will be saved. If you sit and you worry about the end times, the greatest hope that you have is that if you have placed your faith in Jesus Christ as your personal Lord and Savior, you have nothing to worry about because this world is momentary. It will pass like a vapor, but all things, as we put our faith in Jesus Christ, those who endure to the end, we will be saved and reign with him forever. These are the purposes of the information that Jesus begins to share. But I want us to catch this point. What will the signs never do? What will they never do? Matthew 24, 36 paints it very, very clearly for us. Jesus says, but about that day or hour when he's going to return, no one knows. Not the angels in heaven, nor the son, but only the father. You know what that tells us? As Jesus is sitting, having this conversation with his disciples, he doesn't know. He is telling them what the spirit has revealed about what that time will look like, about some of the events that will happen. But even as he speaks with them, he doesn't know if it's in their lifetime. He doesn't know if it's way down the road. He doesn't have the date and the time figured out. What does he say? No one knows. Not the angels in heaven, not the sun myself, but only God the Father. So what are the three potential responses to this truth? We must remember that these signs will never enable us to predict the future. What are three potential responses to this truth? The first thing is that oftentimes when people uh, have this understanding is that there can be an over-fascination with what I call code-cracking. I don't know about you, but I'm the kind of guy that loves to crack codes. I love to look at puzzles. I love to try to figure things out. And you can easily look at scripture as a code to crack. It's like, oh, there's all these wonderful things. And if I just dive in long enough and I put this with this and this with this and putting it all together, then maybe I can find out the complete answer. And I simply want to tell you this truth this morning. One of the potential responses, but a pitfall is over fascination with code cracking when it comes to the end times if you spend more time focused on the book of revelation and its correlation with world events than you do sharing your faith you have missed the point do you hear that this morning i'm not saying it's not important to study revelation or daniel or matthew 24 and 25 god put it there for a reason but if your goal is to sit there and to study it and just hammer over world events so that you can figure out that moment. If you spend more time on that than you do sharing your faith, as you will see in the weeks to come, you have completely missed the mark and the point of what Jesus wants to teach his disciples. Another potential response to this truth is complacency. Too many Christians will find themselves in this position today. They think that, well, Jesus uh, ha- Jesus had this conversation with the disciples a long time ago. The world just seems to keep going on. Some of these things keep happening. And so uh, tomorrow's promised. And what ends up happening is too many Christians are lulled to sleep by the world, by material riches, by their entanglement with sin believing that life will just continue on as it always has forever, ignoring what scripture teaches about the imminence of Christ's return and the urgency with which we should live our lives. And as we will see next week, this type of complacency can leave professing Christians in a rather precarious position. So we have the response that you can have an over-fascination with Croke code cracking. You can also have a complacency that that comes about. But number three, I believe the response that Jesus desires and that he was really pushing his disciples towards is that they would live their life with a sense of urgency. That as they think about the coming king, as they think about the signs that will precede his coming, that they would live their lives every single day, fully devoted to him and fully devoted to his mission. And so what was the first and most important thing that Jesus wants his disciples to do? We see it in Matthew chapter 24, verse 42. What is it? He says, therefore, keep watch. He begins to reveal some of the things that are nearest to his heart. Therefore, because of everything I've just said, the most important thing for you to know in this moment is keep watch. He says, keep watch because you do not know on what day your Lord will come. No matter how hard you try to figure it out, if you sit there and you think you've got it canned, You do not know, so keep watch. The Greek word that is used here for this has many different connotations. In the NIV, it is uh, translated as keep watch. Another syntactic force of that word is to be awake. That's one of your fill-ins. And it literally paints for us this picture of Christians that are asleep at the wheel in their faith with God, just going through life, that idea of complacency that each day is promised for them. And what Jesus says, and we'll see in the weeks to come, is that he is calling his followers to wake up, to understand that the time is coming, to understand that there is a purpose to their life because of the truth that Jesus will come again. Another syntactic force of this Greek word is not just keep watch or to be awake, but it is also to be on the alert. In other words, get your head out of the sand. Know what the Bible says. Know what Jesus said would be indicators of his coming and watch carefully, but don't watch in a stagnant position. Watch continually and allow it to be the thing that motivates you to live your life with urgency because you know that Jesus will come again. The very bottom line is this truth, is that Jesus is calling his disciples and us to live our lives with an urgency that reflects the imminence of Christ's return. We must live our lives with urgency. As you look at the things that are happening in the world around us, as you see evil growing in its intensity, you see all of these things, it should move you to a place of urgency that you believe in your heart that Jesus could come at any moment. And not only does that have incredible significance for you as an individual follower of Christ, it has incredible significance for all of the people that God has placed in your life that do not know him. The last note to be continued. I hated it as a child when I watched a show and they threw up to be continued. I felt like it was cruel and unusual. But in next week, we're going to take a look together at the first half of Matthew chapter 25. If you want to read ahead, it's the parable of the 10 virgins. And Jesus is going to begin unpacking with his disciples what that urgency looks like in t- chapter 25. And so, to be continued. But what I hope and desire for us today as we consider the text that is here, is would we wrestle with the question ourselves of, am I living my life with a sense of urgency because I believe that Christ is coming soon? And my prayer for you this week is that the Holy Spirit speaks directly into your heart. And maybe today you're here, you've followed Jesus for a long time and you found yourself in a place of complacency, even being lulled to sleep. And the Spirit is calling you to wake up. But maybe you sit here today and you've never placed your faith in Jesus. And if you're anything like me, as I was a young child and I listened to these things, reading about Revelation, it freaked me out. Like I was terrified. But I want you to know that if you have faith in Jesus Christ, you have nothing to fear. You have absolutely nothing to fear. And if you sit here today and you don't know him as your Lord and Savior, today is the day to make that decision. Would you pray with me? Heavenly Father, I thank you so much for your love for us. I thank you that in the pages of scripture here that you have painted a very clear picture for us of what the end times will look like. And you've done so, Lord, because your desire is that we wouldn't just float through life as though it was unending, but that we would live our lives with a sense of urgency urgency to have our hearts and our lives right with you but an urgency as well to tell others about your son because the truth is one day you will return and the opportunity that we have to place our faith and trust in you will be gone and so Lord would you give us a passion and that same urgency inside of our hearts would you wake us up from our slumber Lord if we find ourselves caught in sin and struggling to walk and follow you Lord would you wake us up Would you bring us to a place of humility where we confess our sin one to another and we get our hearts and our lives right with you? If we've never placed our faith in you, Holy Spirit, move in our hearts today to make that decision. But even more importantly, God, I pray that with every single person that is in this room, that you see into their hearts and you see into their lives, I pray, God, that you would place a passion within them to share the good news of Jesus with the people that you have put in their lives that don't know him because the time is short. So give us that urgency, God, that you would be glorified in us. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. As we come to the time of uh, this last song together in worship, we're gonna take our morning offering, don't pass the buckets yet, Um, but uh, we've been talking together over the last uh, many weeks about our five-year vision as a church, deep roots and broad reach. The whole idea is deep roots. We want to have deep roots in Christ and with each other so that as we grow with one another, the natural fruit of what God produces in our lives is that we reach out to people that are in our immediate circles that God has placed there, that we reach out to our community that surrounds our church, and that we take the good news of the gospel to the ends of the earth, a broad reach. Our desire as a church is to be a part of what Jesus is doing in this world. And as you look at Matthew 25 with me over these next two weeks, you're gonna see that deep roots and broad reach fit perfectly into it. God, Jesus is going to challenge us when it comes to our own devotion to him and whether or not we have sunk in those deep roots and whether or not we are truly committed to reaching the lost with the good news of the gospel. It's the reason that we've been casting this vision over these past many weeks. We believe as a church that time is short and there's no time to fool around. That We've got to get serious. It's the reason that we've been talking about this Broad Reach Fund together and making commitments together as our church, saying, hey, and encouraging you to say, hey, Lord, how would you have me participate even with my financial resources to help reach more people in this community with the good news of the gospel? As we take our offering this morning, we're going to be uh, turning in not only our tithes and our offerings that we normally do, Uh, as those who are regular attenders here at Westgate, but also if you have taken time to pray through with the Lord, your own commitment to giving to uh, the Broad Reach Fund, above and beyond what you normally give to the church, but to enable us to do the things that we believe God has called us to do. I want to encourage you during this time of offering to place those cards as an act of worship into the, uh, the buckets as they go by. If you haven't filled it out yet and you want to, you can do so. You can also turn it in in the buckets that are at the back of the room as you leave we want to take a moment just to worship and to honor the Lord and to pray and to offer this time to him, recognizing that all of this is because we desire to be a part with him of what he is doing to reach lost people. So would you pray with me? Father, I thank you that we are able to come and give back to you, Father, a portion of what you've given to us. I thank you, Father, for how you've sown in our hearts to give generously, but also to give, uh, Father, from what you have already given and supplied to us. I thank you, Father, for the way that over these years you have been increasing the faith of this congregation. And Lord, uh, this morning as we give our regular tithes and offerings, Lord, we give them in recognition, uh, Lord, of not only your faithfulness, but the recognition that we believe with all of our heart that you are going to multiply that, Father, so that we can reach more people with the gospel. But today as well as we turn in our commitments to you, to give above and beyond our tithes and our offerings, to give to this specific fund to reach more people. Father, I pray that you would help us just to take a step of faith as you lead and that, Father, you would multiply that and that you would use it. So as we talk about our goal over the next five years of seeing 250 people profess their faith through baptism, that that would become a reality. Because we want to give all that we are in all that we have in all of our heart to you, God, to be a part of what you are doing so that other people can know the salvation that we have through your son, Jesus Christ. So as we give our offerings today and our commitments, Lord, we offer them to you as an act of worship and we give you thanks. In Jesus' name, amen. Let me take the buckets and you can pass them and let's worship together.
2: down on my knees uh...
1: service this morning just a couple of things if you want to dig a little bit deeper into the book of Revelation we have got a class that is actually happening on Sunday mornings in uh, Community One. It's during our first hour, and I believe they're meeting over in the gymnasium. But if you would like to dig more into uh, this and study it, uh, again, on a deeper level, uh, Norm and a few other, Norm Weimer, one of our elders, and a few others are teaching that class. I would love for you to check that out and be a part of that. Again, 9 a.m. every Sunday morning. And uh, a couple other things. One, if uh, you heard, as you listened to this message this morning, you're like, you know, I've not put my faith in Jesus, and I just eagerly desire to make that decision today. Our prayer team would love the opportunity to talk and also pray with you as you make that commitment to follow Jesus. And so we have some prayer team members that are here this morning, Mark and Isaac, that are here up front, uh, two of our elders, and would love for you just to come forward. If you have other prayer needs as well, um, whether that be for healing or you just want to talk through something and pray with someone, uh, they can pray with you here or even over in our prayer room. But if God is moving in your heart to make that decision, to follow him, to day, do not leave without talking with them. It is the most important decision that you will ever make. Finally, uh, I want to remind you and let you know that coming up the first Sunday in November, November 6th, we're going to be having a baptism service where we are celebrating what God is doing in people's lives as they make the choice to follow Jesus Christ. And our kids, I believe, began a class this, this morning that is leading them to that. And if you have never been baptized, if you've never made that public proclamation that says, hey, I have chosen to give my heart and my life to Jesus and follow him with all that I am and to make that commitment publicly, I would encourage you now is the time to do do so. And we're going to be having not only that baptism service, but a class for adults that will be happening on Sunday, October 30th, following our second service. Uh, if you would like to be a part of that and let us know that you would like to come, you can go to the church app on your phone. Uh, it says baptism right on the front. You can click on it and just put your name in and let us know. But we would love the opportunity to journey with you as you continue to take that step of following Jesus with all of your heart. With that being said, church family, I hope that today as you go out from here, that the Holy Spirit will create within your heart a sense of urgency, a sense in your heart of devoting your heart and your life to Jesus in every way, but also a devotion to his mission to share the good news of Jesus with others. So as you go out, live it urgently with him. And we look forward to seeing you next week. God bless you. Have a great week.